Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. Today, we've got an interview with Ryan Hemingway. Ryan is the managing director of Epic Ventures, a venture capital firm who have they he's been with them and doing this for over 10 years in this space. They've done very, very well, just raised a new fund. Um, Ryan in this interview is a very fun interview. I had a great time with him. We talked about the future of venture capital, how he looks and manages all of his portfolio companies and investments. And he's actually a really great person to talk to. Hope you guys enjoy. I've spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious fund managers around. And now I've decided to take the plunge and start my own fund. The real question is, how will I do it with no investors and without an Ivy League degree? This podcast is going to give you the answer. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we start and build multi-million dollar investment funds. I'm Bridger Pennington, and this is Investment Fund Secrets. All right, welcome back to the show. Today we got with us one of the managing directors and partners of Epic Ventures, Ryan Hemingway. They've had Epic's very impressive portfolio and career. We're going to dive into all that today. So people that are listening that are interested in in venture, early stage venture, Ryan's going to, it's going to be pretty fun, I think. Ryan, welcome to the show. Good to see you. Hey, thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. So real quick, give us a, a you know, the one, two minute boilerplate of Epic, and then we're going to dive a little bit deeper. Tell us about you guys. I know you've made some some very uh, incredible investments and in, you were saying earlier into lead, but I, you know, I've got just your portfolio pull up here, early investor into ancestry canopy blue matador. I mean, some, some companies that I know I've seen do very well. I mean, ancestry just had a huge liquidation event. Um, anyways, talk us through though, Epic on the kind of the high 30,000 foot level, what you guys do and who you are. Sure. So yeah, Epic, we've been around, you know, 20, 25 years now, early stage venture capital fund, um, we invest in C to series B, uh, enterprise software is the focus. Again, you've mentioned ancestry. We like, you know, headquartered here in Salt Lake. So we, we like that we were in Instructure. We seeded Instructure all the way through to IPO, um, you know, health catalyst. And if you saw the news recently, recursion that came out of the university of Utah, they just IPO we're in that as well. So, you know, we let, we love Utah and we love building up the ecosystem here. Hmm. Now, is your thesis designed around Utah or do you guys branch out? What what type of, do you just take any deal? Is it primary Utah or, or where do you guys look? No, we, so we look, so we have a thesis. We like underserved markets and we have for 20 years. So we do like investing outside of, you know, Silicon Valley. So we've, we like, we love Utah. Um, we like Idaho. We've got a number up there. Oregon, I spend a lot of time in Oregon. We've got, um, you know, New Mexico, we've got deals in Iowa. So we do, we look outside of kind of the major markets for, you know, we're looking for scrappy entrepreneurs. We're looking for technical, you know, innovations out there. And I, again, they're everywhere. So, so it's an area that we look for. Gotcha. But, then, but outside of traditional is, Silicon Valley, correct? Yes. And, you know, we still are doing deals in Silicon Valley. We've got deep networks and ties to, you know, to Silicon Valley. So we do, we still do a lot of deals there, but, but we do have, you know, we do focus pretty heavily on, on where we can find, you know, that unique opportunity. And a lot of times it's outside of California. Well, I was going to ask, and that's, that's a long time. I mean, that's, that's a significant, uh, you know, so you don't see many, very many funds get over a 20 year mark. Um, yeah. 
how much, I mean, how many, if you have, if you even know, I don't even know, do you know how many companies you've gotten into and how much capital, what fund are you guys on? Where are you guys at right now? So we are investing out of fund five. We're just about to close fund six here. So we, um, I don't, you know, I don't know a total number of deals off the top of my head. So I apologize for that. Fund five is about $130 million fund. So if that helps. Jeez. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, I'm excited to dive into to, to more and I want to pick through this really well. But first off, Ryan, tell me about your story a little bit. How'd you end up at Epic and, and how'd you... I mean, there might be people listening like, man, I would love to be in Ryan's shoes one day. How did you get to the place where you're at as, as a managing partner director of, of Epic and you're on your fifth fund doing this, going to a sixth fund right now? How'd you get to your point where you're at? Well, you know, I, I tell a lot of the, a lot of students that ask me that, hey, you know, a lot of hard work and a lot of luck. So a lot <laughs> of luck. But, but yeah, tell us your story a little bit. How did you, you know, venture? Yeah, I'll tell, I'll give you my story. So venture, venture is a little funny because they're not, and again, if you know enough, you know, VCs, there's not usually a direct track right into that role, right? If they're all over the place and I can just, I can just give you briefly uh, uh, my story, but I actually started my career in uh, New York as a trader. I traded corporate bonds in New York for a lot of years and, you know, managed my own portfolio there, had my own P&L. I, I moved back to England where I went and fin- completed an MBA. Um, and, and then I graduated when in 07, when the world fell apart financially. So, you know, Lehman Brothers was falling apart. Bear Stearns blew up. Um, and anyway, I ended up taking a role with a regional bank in Nevada, Nevada State Bank, which is about a $4 billion regional bank. And I met with the CEO and he had asked me to come join and to build a private banking division in the bank. And so um, I moved down there. Again, I still remember the discussion I had with my wife when I took that job because commercial banking was not something I'd ever thought about doing. But I had said to my wife when I got the offer, I said, wow, but this is like, this is like being an entrepreneur, but within an organization, right? I've got resources. I've got, you know... I, you know, this would be, I've got a blank slate, kind of a blank canvas to, that I can go there and grow. Um, after a couple of months, I realized that was not the case. It was not like an entrepreneur at all. It was very much dealing with, you know, already heavily entrenched processes, bureau, you know, bureaucracies. And then to be fair, this was in 07. So I kind of had a front row seat to the destruction of wealth at Nevada. So every time I wanted to come in and do something new, Hey, let's do this new product. Let's do something. I was kind of told like, Hey, let's not do that right now. (laughs) But anyway, the short version is we got that built up. You know, we, we got that going. It's doing really well. And then the CEO asked me to head a a clean energy lending group for the bank, which I started to Mm -hmm. do. And and it was very shortly after that, that I joined Epic Ventures pretty young, you know, as an associate, I think was my title at the time. And, uh, and then I've been at Epic ever since. Hmm, really cool. And now you came to Epic, was that 2009, 10, somewhere around there? Yeah, 2009 or 10, I believe. Okay, gotcha. And then, you know, now 11 years there, and that's a lot of, you've seen a lot under your, in the last 11 years, and, and you guys have done incredible things to be able to do. So I want to dive into a little bit with, um, with Epic and how you guys structure your 
your thesis, I guess. Do you, I've, I've seen a number of funds will, are you like, for instance, you as a managing partner, are you supposed to source your own deals? And then are you the lead investor into those deals? Um, and then the, the fund partners with you. How do, how do you guys structure deal sourcing? And then you guys as, as partners investing maybe personally into those, how do you guys structure it? Sure. So Epic, we operate, you know, we do all of our own deal sourcing and then diligence. And then once we kind of have a deal that we're chasing down, then we work collaboratively together on kind of the diligence when we start to, to dive into that together. But as far as the sourcing, each one of us kind of sources our own deals. Mm -hmm. And so if you're talking about thesis, right, it, you know, Epic on the surface kind of looks like a generalist fund. Right, where, hey, if it's enterprise software, kind of in the early stages, we'll take a look. But then under, if you go a little bit deeper, each of us has kind of a focus. So for example, I'll give you, so anything that, so I spend a lot of time in FinTech, data and analytics, sales and marketing tech specifically, those are probably my top three. And, you know, Jack Bourne, who runs our, you know, investment team with me, he's, he's got a big focus in healthcare. Um, healthcare IT. And so um, we each kind of have a focus outside of, you know, that we spend a lot of time on, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Okay. And those focuses can change. I mean, those focuses will change as the market changes, right? I mean, if we think that there's, you know, something new coming up or there's a macro trend that we want to get a part of, or we think, you know, you know, there's some advantage there or something technically that's happening there, then we'll, we'll put a focus on that as well. So for you specifically, then how, how are you, maybe in just your, yeah, I know all of you partners probably do it differently, but how do you specifically source deals? What, what kind of tools and resources do you use to find, I mean, you're looking for early, you're looking for the early stage first, like, you know, first, second, third investment. I mean, how that's, that's hard. That's a job. And how do you find those people and vet them and do it? Like, how do you specifically do it, Ryan? What do you do? Give us the secret sauce. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you spend a good portion of the day. I mean, you, you're asking the right question, right? How do you source deals? And, you know, there's a lot of ways to source now, you, you know, at the very easiest, um, I mean, well, I'll just talk about me specifically. So I'm, I'm reading a lot, you know, figuring out, Hey, who's new, who's being talked about. And I spend a lot of time once I find a name of a company of, Hey, they're doing something interesting. There was a press release here. It's in this market, this, that, and then you're emailing, you're link, you're sending LinkedIn requests, you're emailing, you know, the company saying, Hey, I'd like to like to get a hold of you and so forth. I mean, so, so I'll, I'll give you a little bit coming from the banking side, right? Trying to get customers, right? Most customers don't want to talk to you. Venture is a little bit different where most, most new startups want to talk to you. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so the, the hit rate, the conversion rate to actually getting a meeting is a lot higher in my world. <laughs> now, yeah, it makes sense. So, um, so usually, when an entrepreneur gets gets reached out, now I've been doing this ten years. I guess that's the next part. Is is that's kind of where you start, right? You're just emailing, cold emailing, cold calling. You know, reaching out on LinkedIn, but then eventually, you know, you start to build a network, a network of entrepreneurs, a network of other funds, a network of you know different service providers, and then when they start to once they kind of know, hey. Ryan, you know, is, has an expertise in fintech or, hey, he does a lot of data analytics or whatever it is. Then they, when they see things that are interesting or have a friend or, hey, they say, hey, why don't you talk to Ryan? In fact, I've talked to, you know, three companies this week that were introduced to me just through my network that were, 
you know, pretty high caliber deals. That makes a lot of sense. And on now you're, so I love the, just the, it sounds like everyone loves the sexy VC job, but you made it just sound like, Hey, you're cold, you're cold finding companies. I'm guessing uh, a lot of these companies are trying to reach out to you as well. Now, just to give us some, a little context too. I mean, you guys are seed series AB. What's a typical check size that at least you guys are going after? What's kind of your range? Where are you guys at? So we, we like to invest around, I, I would say it's probably one to 4 million in a first round. Two is really where we'd like to be kind of in an A round. That would be, that would be my favorite. Um, but I have done, I'd have done small checks, right? If it's really a seed stage company, pre-product, pre-revenue, then yeah, I, I probably want to have a smaller check size, 500-ish, give or take. Or if it's a later round, you know, a B round, right? It may be four. We've written up to five or so. But but I would say, I would argue that kind of two million-ish range in the first round is where we like to be. And then we would, you know, we tend to follow on, right? We tend to stick with our companies and try to help and be supportive as long as as long as we can. Yeah, that was my next question is, what is your exit strategy? Do you, do you guys hope to, you know, on a B or C round exit and get out? Or do you like to stay with the company forever, IPO, go to the moon, you know, type of type of investor? What what typically have you seen and do you guys we're, like to do? We're long haul. I mean, we're in it for the long haul. In mm -hmm. fact, we, we have very supportive LPs and we have for 20 years. And we, you know, one of the things that we've raised on and told them is we're in this to build great companies, right? We want to build long lasting, great companies that are really delivering value. And, you know, in some cases that's a quick exit, but in other cases it takes time to build and um, they've been supportive of that. So, gotcha. Cool. I mean, Hey, um, on the numbers side, we'd always love to see a deal that gets exited in two or three years, but, but it takes time to build the good ones. Yeah, obviously it takes, yeah, it takes some time. So I, I love that though. And uh, yeah, it sounds like, well, and from your guys' track record, it's obviously been uh, been pretty impressive. Do you, now I want to ask, this is kind of an interesting question with VC in general, the, 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 <laughs> the classic term is like, Hey, we invest in 20 companies. One is successful. 19 lose money. Do you guys follow a similar, I mean, obviously you're trying to make sure every company does well, but have you seen that actually, are you like, Hey, no, we actually go for a, a more safer play. And out of 20 companies, you know, 15 are going to do well. Yeah, five might lose money. Where do you guys fall on that spectrum of, I, I guess, I don't know how you could determine at risk, I guess, on investing, but how, where do you guys fall on that spectrum? Yeah, I mean, every fund's been a little different. It's not, we, we tend to have a higher hit rate than, uh, you know, than the, so the, than the true seed funds, right? I think the seed funds can have, you know, I think their successes may even be, you know, 60 plus percent that, that go bust. But I mean, our, ours is not that mm -hmm. bad. I mean, a third, a third, a third is probably close, although not, you know, right on the numbers. Gotcha. I mean, okay. it, it is a challenge. So, so, so what's fun, you mentioned, you know, VC being super sexy, right? And a lot of, you know, there's, and it is, it's fun. I would argue there's no place better to be. It's, it's, it's super fun, but it is, I would argue some of the hardest investing that's out there, right? Because, hmm. because it's hard to build companies. There's a lot of challenges, you know, it's in any way, it's, it's a challenge one way or the other. Hmm. And it sounds like, it sounds like what you, what you just said, you're building companies. Are you, do you guys take an active role in these companies, boards and things like that? Or do you try to stay more passive when you join a company? No, I mean, our preference is to be very active. Yeah, we try to be on the board, if not a board observer and, um, 
you know, get involved and do, you know, we try to do everything from, you know, we've placed a lot of key hires when they've needed that. When it comes time to fundraise, we obviously make a lot of intros there. I like to work with the VP of sales uh, oftentimes to just say, hey, who can I help get you in front of, right? Who, you know, who can we get involved with? In fact, again, I just made two or three intros to, to one of my companies, you know, this week in that regard. So, you know, it can be almost an outsource, you know, biz dev officer in some cases. So we do try to be active, um, you know, once the company's kind of a little further along and they've got, you know, they've got all their team in place and everything's running well, right? There's, there's sometimes less to do, but yes, we do try to be active, certainly in the early okay. stages. Yeah, I love it. Well, it, yeah, and it, I think that's, you know, you see that from a lot of companies too. I mean, there's a lot of VC shops around now and you see companies and entrepreneurs, I mean, they shop you guys. They, they also are shopping as well to see what kind of partners they want to be a part of and with. And, and sometimes there's more than just a check um, behind, you know, behind the investment, which I think is really cool that, that you guys have obviously done very well. I want to ask you about Ryan, the, uh, we'll just, we're, sh we're shaking it up here. Let's just, sh let's just jump around a little bit. So I want to ask you about from your position, your, your spot, you guys, I mean, you're trying to look in the future five, 10, 15 years with some of these companies, right? You're trying to see the growth and what, what things are, are happening and moving. What are you, what are you seeing? What's I'm, I'm going to ask you your crystal ball. What you, what's your crystal ball look like for the next? Um, and we can even go broad here. Well, let's go macroeconomics, but what kind of crystal ball do you see maybe in the VC world? Do you see, you know, where are you looking at and, and, and su surprising areas and, and areas of interest that you are interested in right now? And then we'll go a little bit broader and we can talk about the state of the state of the union, the economy, you know, money printing, all that kind of stuff. I'd love to hear your thoughts. But first off, let's start with VC. What kind of sectors do you see that, that you're excited about that you are you know, looking into? Maybe some companies that you partner with as well. But where do you see that? And then we'll, we'll dive into more macro stuff. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, and again, I kind of already I gave you a little bit uh, alluded to this already earlier with some of my focuses. But, you know, I think financial technology, particularly in data and analytics, I think we are seeing, you know, fintech kind of had a heyday a couple of years ago, but I think it's coming back, right? I think, well, it never really went away. I shouldn't say that, but I think there's a lot of, there's a lot, you know, technology has improved a lot of the processes, a lot of the old kind of slower ways of doing things. Um, technology is, is still there. It's automating, you know, a lot of what people do, especially in the finance world from moving money, a lot of exciting stuff in payments. Um, on that on that side of the the equation so i'm still spending a lot of time there there's you know there's a lot of interesting things happening there and then data and analytics now data and analytics you can get deeper and deeper and deeper um you know what started out is is we saw you know there was a lot of dashboards hey we're pulling this data and this data and this data we're putting into a nice dashboard for business owners to see um the reality is we have so much data and people are using data in a lot of different ways, right? They're running their machine learning, their AI techniques on that. Um, but the insights they're giving and then automating those kind of the next three or four steps down the line, that's all taking place kind of behind the scenes. I still think there's a lot of stuff happening there. In fact, I just, I did a deal. I just, I just added to a seed investment I made in a company called DataZoom that's, that's doing a lot of interesting stuff around data and analytics in the video space. So we're still seeing a lot. I'm still seeing a lot of excitement there. Um, it was interesting on that, on that same note of data, just to add on, um, last night I was talking to a really, um, 
you know, well-known investor. He's on the board of Intel and AMD, a great guy. And he's talking about Tesla and he goes, he goes, why is Tesla's evaluation so high? It's not because of, I mean, their cars are great and stuff, but it's the data. They have user data of people's driving habits over the last six, seven, eight years, number one. And any company that's coming to come up and start an electric car company like GM, yeah, they can develop it on their own or they could license all the data from Tesla. And he, his thought was, at least one opinion was, I think Tesla's biggest play is a data play, is a licensing play and, um, and a battery licensing play where they're selling, they're a battery manufacturer and a, a data manufacturer where they're selling licensing agreements, which I thought was very interesting. Um, we think of a car maker, but the data they have behind is the most valuable piece. That's what, that's what he was arguing as well. So. No, it's interesting. So I've got, you know, on that topic, I've got another investment. Again, this is, this is where I spend a lot of time. You can tell I've got another investment in a company called Lytics up in Oregon. They're a customer data platform, but they, you know, their main purpose is they're pulling data from a lot of different systems that a company has and putting all that together, not for sale, like, like you're referring to with Tesla, but for the company itself to kind of utilize and optimize their processes and their, and their um, resources utilizing that data. So I, I do think that there is a lot of value in, um, in data. And so it's just how we're going to use that. And so I do spend a lot of time and I do think that's, I do think that's part of my, obviously my future thesis. Yeah. I love it. Now, okay. I want to go, I want to go more macro here. Okay. We've had an insane amount of money printing. We're recording this in March, end of March, 2021. Um, we've had <laughs> the Fed put interest rates at zero. We have negative interest rates. We have, it's it's very interesting what's happening in the world right now. A lot of money is shifting. We have one of the biggest human migrations happening in the history of the world. People are moving uh, out of cities to suburbs uh, at greater rates than ever before. What are your thoughts on, you know, I, let's go macro. You can pick what, what sector you want to talk about, but I want to hear your thoughts from a really broad point of view. And you know what? No one's got a crystal ball, but I want to hear your probabilities, what you think might happen over the next couple of years and how this all plays out. Are we going to have hyperinflation? Are we going to have, you know, anyways, I, I'm not going to see it anymore. What are your thoughts? Oh, geez. I've got a hundred thoughts. Um, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, I'm going to hit it. I won't hit on inflation just yet, but I will hit on, on this remote workforce because that's one I've talked a lot. So just so you know, mm -hmm. like we went fully remote. Um, we got rid of our office last year. Um, so we've been fully remote and, you know, initially I think it felt a little weird, but, but it seems to be working. Now we get together more often. We are having more meetings, at least on the phone. Um, but so, so I, I only hit on this because I think it is a trend. I don't think people are going to go completely remote, but I think there's, I think there's going to be a hybrid kind of this many days at work, this many days at home. So I think companies have figured out that, hey, we can get a lot done with remote workforce. We're just, we're productive, you know, people are happier, but what we're missing by being fully remote, in my opinion, is that kind of casual interaction or those casual insights where, you know, you wander into your, you know, someone's office just to chat for a second and something comes of that. So I do think there's gonna, we're gonna see a hybrid. Now we've seen a lot of companies and I've actually seen people from the Bay that have moved out here, you know, in all of this to, again, to get away, right? Hey, well, this is, it's cheaper. Let's get out of the city. Um, you know, I think 
I, I mean, I'm happy for it. I think that's going to be exciting, but I do think that there's still going to be a demand to be in New York, to be in Silicon Valley, San Francisco's of the world. And I think we're going to see, I think down the next, you said two or three years, I, I think we'll see a flood back into those cities mm -hmm. because again, those are centers for a reason, right? There's a lot happening. There's a lot of, there's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of intellectual, you know, just horsepower in those in those parts of the, you know, in those parts of the nation that I think when you get them all together, there's a lot of good that comes out of that. So I think it'll come back. Gotcha. So you're bullish on on at least a hybrid work and that people are going to get back to big cities. I, I told I think I agree with you. And we've seen that already. New York apparently has has a lot how a lot of people move back already. Now, what are your thoughts, though, on. Uh, well, let's keep going here for a second. So, I mean, people, are, are we in a bubble? Are we not in a bubble? Is this just uh, asset inflation? Are we going to see CPI go up? What are your thoughts there? <laughs> I think, <laughs> well, yeah, this is a good question. And I obviously, I don't have a crystal ball or anything of timing. I, I think we'll probably see a, a correction here at some point. And when I say that, like, I don't mean a massive crash. I don't mean that, but I do think we're going to see a correction. We've had a lot of years of a bull run. Um, you know, I think we're going to see, it sounds like they're talking about increasing taxes, you know, which means a lot of people will, will liquidate, you know, asset holdings. So I do think we'll see a bit of a, a bit of a correction. Um, but I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's going to be for the long term. I think things are good. I think things are very good. And certainly in, in the technology world where we play, I mean, where we focus on companies or I try to focus on companies that are delivering real value to, to enterprises, right? Those kind of companies are, are valuable in good times and bad, right? If you can increase revenues, that's great. If you can decrease expenses, that's great. And so, you know, where I play, I think that'll just continue to get better and better. Gotcha. I'm kind so of scared in the future. I don't really have an answer for you. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, but correction. I yeah, I know we've had this looming correction that everyone's been talking about for three years. And anyway, it's been interesting to see. Uh, we'll see what happens with uh, with you know potential Biden tax cuts with with continue to money print. I mean, I've read anywhere from twenty to thirty five percent of our money supplies print in the last twelve months. I, I don't know their exact answer. I, I hear all sorts of reports, but somewhere in that range, which is absolutely insane. <laughs> but uh, it's a smart move um, if you're the Fed. Anyways, um, any other last thoughts before we move on to the next topic? Before I, I, I want to leave some, some open-ended question here if you got any more thoughts on macroeconomics. Uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Let's, we'll move on to the next. Okay. Ryan, do you help? Do you raise capital at all? Yes. Are you on the capital raise piece? So we all, we all raise capital. So all of us are responsible raise for raising okay. capital. So, yeah. Walk us, walk us through some of your capital raising, um, you know, secret sauce, I guess we could ask. So if you're, uh, you know, you guys are raising a new fund right now, fund five or six, um, you know, you're always, always looking for capital partners. Obviously you guys have a great track record, so that helps, but how do you find high net worth individuals? How do you approach them? How do you pitch? How, how does that all work? Kind of walk us through it. Yeah. So, you know, it's similar to, it's similar to finding deals, right? I mean, in the beginning, you're just cold calling and, and reaching out. It could be, so we, we raise from a lot of institutions. So, you know, we may be reaching out to, you know, different, 
whether it's states or, you know, a lot of states, a lot of endowments, a lot of institutions use kind of a third party, like an advisor or consultant. So, you know, you start, you're building relationships with them. Um, the high net worth, you just kind of meet throughout your course, right? They might be former, just through your normal course of operation, right? Day to day, you meet, you know, you meet entrepreneurs that were successful before, you, you know, you meet other angel investors when you're doing diligence on a deal. Hey, they invested here that you start to meet them and you start to build those relationships and figure out who you want to work with and why and, and so forth. But then when you're, when you actually start pitching, right, they always, they, you want to know your strategy and why that you think you have some edge and so forth. And that's where, you know, that's where the 20, 25 year track record, as you pointed out, helps is because we can point to and say, Hey, Here's what we've done in funds two, three, four, five, you know, et cetera. Um, so what's interesting is just like entrepreneurs um, that are pitching to us, right? I mean, we have to do the same thing and we get asked all the same questions. You know, we, we, we're competing against a lot of other funds out there that have fairly similar stories. And, you know, and, you know, then you have to, you have to go from there and you have to create a uniqueness or, Help, help an investor to see why why is it unique to put money with you, Ryan, than than somebody else. Yeah. What's your um, proportion between? I know institutional investors and high net worths are a totally different pitch, different approach. What's and let's you know you have your new fund, one hundred twenty million dollar fund. How much will be high net worth and and what like percentage? How much percentage will be high net worth and how much percentage will be institution? Oh, it's it's probably eighty plus. That's institution. Most of ours is institution. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have, we do have some family offices and um, some individuals, but most of it's institution. The, uh, with institutions, um, what is, how does that pitch differ from a high net worth? And are they similar or I, I have, I have, I've raised a lot of money from high net worths. I haven't raised much from institutions and um, with pitching institution, how does that differ? And, and does it differ a lot when pitching more of an institutional player versus a high net worth? I don't think the information is necessarily different in pitching to an institution, but there is a difference in, you know, the process itself as far as timeline. And again, there is, there is a lot of data, right? Cause a lot of the institutions are, are, are checking boxes, right? They want to make sure everything's in order. It takes time. They're going to committees there. You know, there's a lot of, there's a long process to that. Um, the, the, the upside is, is they, obviously they write bigger checks. I think when I've raised from family offices or high net worths, right? You're usually dealing with the decision maker, um, as I'm sure is your experience. And that can be a lot quicker. Um, the amount of, the amount of data, the amount of diligence that they want, sometimes is less um, and, and they may be basing a decision on, you know, Hey, I can see your track record and I've worked with you on this, this, and this before I know what you're doing and I know I'm comfortable with you and Hey, here's a little bit smaller check, but it turns faster. Hmm. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Congrats to you guys too on, on your raises and your funds. I mean, that's, that's incredible. What you guys been able to do. It's, it's really, yeah, it's really amazing. Um, I want to ask, uh, uh, kind of, we'll switch gears again. We're, we're having fun here. Let's switch it up. I want to ask you about the future of venture capital in general. And what I mean by that is, are you seeing venture capital becoming more valuable or less valuable as time goes on? I mean, 
back way back um, when you guys started, I mean, it was, there wasn't, weren't a lot of options as many options to get capital for a small startup today. There are lots of different other ways than partnering and with a VC firm that's going to take a big piece of equity and, and a board seat. There's other ways to raise capital. You have Indiegogo, you have NFTs, you have uh, small crowdfunding type of platforms. A lot of, I think 70% of companies are starting on credit cards right now. Um, there's a lot of alternative ways to get capital. Uh, now for some companies that might not work, but what, what are your thoughts? Do you see venture capital be becoming more valuable and more companies are seeking it or it's, or it's you're now competing with other financing products essentially for a seed early round type of, of investment. What are your thoughts there? So I think it's a great question. And I think what you're really getting down to is, um, well, well, you're getting down to really, I think, a great, great question for entrepreneurs, but also for VCs, right? And, you know, as you said, capital is everywhere. There's a lot of capital. There's a lot of ways to get it. And so it, I would argue if you're an entrepreneur that doesn't really want or need any help or doesn't want to be bothered or doesn't want to give reports and doesn't want to, you know, report to a board, you know, then, then go with one of those others. If that's all you're looking for is capital, then, then there's other ways to do it. Um, I think for those entrepreneurs that, that do see a value and I would on the other side of that coin would be if you're a fund that's working hard to deliver value to your entrepreneurs, then yes, there's going to be value in the future. But a lot of funds, as you've said, have, have taken an approach, in my opinion, of, hey, we just want to give you money and get our updates. And, and it gets fine. I, I've, I've invested in companies with funds like that. And they can get good returns. Um, uh, it's just, yeah, the entrepreneur views it as less valuable or more valuable. So I think that that kind of a fund is probably you know, where they are. Does that make sense there, Bridger? Yeah, that does. Yeah. You can, you can kind of tier your funds a little bit, right? You've got funds that are just given money, right? They just invest in 50 deals and they say, Hey, you know, good luck to you. You know, then you've got another fund that that's, you know, that's kind of in the middle there where they're helpful. They're trying to do stuff. They're trying to add value. And then you've got even some of the bigger funds that have, I think, taken a step further where they've got operational, um, expertise. They've got operational teams that'll come in and help, you know, help with sales, help with marketing, help with, you know, IT, et cetera. And I think that's kind of the next step that a lot of funds are taking right now to say, to really show that, Hey, you know, if you want to take money, you can take money from anywhere, but if you want to take money from someone that's going to help out and really change the, the outcome, then, then you should take it from us. Continue that question and going forward. Do you, so, and, and that sounds like, you know, there's a lot of value, like you just mentioned of having big teams or big, a more structure and just an advisor essentially that helps you along with just capital um, is a huge value. And I think, I, I think that's what you guys have proven as well. Do you see in the future, you know, as time goes on, do you think uh, there's going to be more and more of those types of VC firms that have the big, a lot of back and a lot of help, more of that, that are going to be, those are going to be more successful VCs versus just, Hey, we're going to write a check and let you do your thing. Um, and do you see entrepreneurs over time? Do you see that those two coming together or separating more? Well, I'm not sure they're going to separate more. 
I guess I guess I do think. Well, here's here's what I think. I would love as a data guy. I will. I would be very interested. I'm very interested to see the data on how that works out. Right. I would like to see if the teams, this approach of operational expertise and adding that to the companies. What I'd like to see is are those firms going to consistently get better returns over time than someone that isn't. And I am as excited as you are to see that data play out. I do think. Um, Back to the other question, I do think that if you're a fund and you're going to get in some of these competitive deals that are oversubscribed, you know, I've had to do this in my career. I've had to do this. I just had to do this uh, recently, oversubscribed deal. And you've got to convince the entrepreneur to take money from you instead of someone else. And a lot of times, you know, the, the entrepreneur will do, you know, diligence calls with other companies we've invested in. Um, and they ask just that question, hey, is, is Ryan helpful? Has he been helpful? How has he been as a board member? You know, what's going on? What can he do for you? Or they'll say, hey, I want to get in front of these couple of customers. Can you get me in front of those customers? And if you can't do that and you're unwilling to do that, I think those funds, you know, then you probably won't get a seat at the table in some of those really contested, you know, oversubscribed deals. Um, mm. Makes sense. Yeah, you'll start losing bids for sure. I'm, I'm sure that's already happening too. Well, it sounds, did they, then you got in that deal, it sounds like, right? Yeah, I have. And, and I've had to, you know, I've had to fight my way into a couple of deals and it's come down to, again, calls with, with other, you know, CEOs that I invest with that are on their boards. But also, just as I said, like, well, what's, you know, can you introduce me to these people right now? Yes, I, I will. Or, you know, hey, who's your network? Um, one of the things that we, we, at Epic, we've worked really hard to build an advisory board. That's, that's pretty, you know, if you look at our site on under advisors, right, we have a great list of, of very successful advisors that we try to get our entrepreneurs in front of if, if they want to get in front of them for whatever reason. But then also we have, as I mentioned, you know, we've got, we've got deep networks. So if you're a FinTech company and you, and we invest, Right. I can open up my network that's all throughout banking and finance and capital markets and connect you right away. You know, Jack on the healthcare side, he's got a deep network of, of hospitals all over the nation that, hey, he can connect you in right from day one. And that's usually a big selling point for an entrepreneur. There's more to that than just the capital behind it. Makes sense. I love it. Um, I want to ask you, Ryan, on, and I know, thanks for your time, by the way, I, we can, we can wrap up whenever you've got, if you've got a hard stop or anything. I got a couple more questions for you, but let me know. Um, I think it's yeah, going to chat with you though. So I want to ask you about entrepreneurship in general and entrepreneurs that you've worked with. So what are some, you know, for people that are listening that maybe have a, they're building a team. I'm this way, right? Building, building companies, building teams. And what do you see? From because you're working with a lot of different companies, you see a lot of different personalities and a lot of different leaders. What are the best entrepreneur leaders and teams that you've worked with and seen? And what traits maybe you could share with with listeners and myself that we can glean from that and maybe apply to our own businesses? You know, it's this is a great question, and I have I spend probably a, a significant amount of time thinking about if there was if there was a common trait or characteristic that would automatically lead to a successful outcome. Um, and, and I know, so I will just throw one out that everyone here is right, kind of scrappy or gritty. Um, but I want to dive in, just dig in a little bit on what I mean by that. Right. 
the, the reality is there's no silver bullet that I've seen that just makes everything work in smooth sailing. I just don't see that. So what happens is generally you got a great, you know, you get a good start, a good product, you got some customers and you're trying to scale. And there's a lot of problems that come up. Hundreds of problems, as you know, come up. Um, and I think when I say, you know, gritty or scrappy, it, it's a team or a founder or CEO that, that one doesn't give up, but continually is looking for ways to improve and just keep going, even, even when it's hard, you know, and that, that is probably what, what I would argue is one of the most important in the early stages is just keep going, you know, keep being creative, keep searching for new problems or solutions to those problems and keep going. As far as teams, you know, personalities, I don't know, you know, whether you're extroverted, introverted or task oriented people, whatever. I don't know if those are as significant as a team itself though, there, you do need to have a certain skill set. Um, you know, you need to have the, the right kind of skills set in the team but also that they work well together. And that's a critical one because you know, you're building your company, it's night and day, it's seven days a week, right? If you can't work side by side in the trenches, kind of one problem after the other, that, that causes challenges too. I like that a lot. I mean, they, it's a cliche saying, but it's like a marriage, right? When you're, when you're in business with somebody, it's like you're married to, you spend sometimes more time with that person than you do your spouse. You better like him and be able to be able to work together. Um, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on today. I've got one last question for you. I like to ask people this question. Um, I'm going to just open the mic. It's open mic for you. You've got two minutes. What would you like to leave with this audience? And you can talk religion, politics, whatever you'd like on, you know, business, uh, advice you'd give yourself to when you were, you know, 20 years old, whatever. You got two minutes. What would be of most value to you to share with this group, uh, with everybody? So right now, uh, I'll give you the mic, Ryan. Here you go. So I guess, I guess what I would leave with anybody, whether it's entrepreneur, whether it's, whether it's a fund manager or whoever, I would say whatever you're picking as your career, have fun. And I don't mean have fun like, boy, I'm out skiing, having fun, right? Not, no career is that. As my dad would say, it's work. If it were that much fun, they wouldn't pay us for it. So I'm not saying that. But I'm saying enjoy what you're doing. Enjoy at least a little bit of the challenges that you're facing. And, and there will be challenges. But I, I work with a lot, of, a lot of students. And I think they get into you know, careers. to They want to make money. And they're like, well, I should do this. But what I would argue is you will have a lot. You will be a lot happier. You will be a lot more successful if you enjoy kind of what you're doing. Right? If you don't, if you don't get excited about new tech companies, what technology is coming down, what's new, what's out there, right? VC's probably not the role, right, for you. If you don't kind of just enjoy and naturally want to find out, hey, what's new, what's happening in the tech world, like what's going on, what are the new tech, you know, etc. Or vice versa, if you want to get into securities analysis, right? If you're already not excited to go you know, see what's happening and digging through some of that, you know, financial analysis stuff already, right? Maybe that's not the right role. So I guess what I would leave with everyone is, is find stuff that you like, industries that you're excited about, you know, projects that, you know, are fun or that you find enjoyable. I love it. 
That's less I, uh, than two minutes. I, that's less than two minutes. But that's what I would I say. Know, you got time to spare. You got anything else? <laughs> I guess you know, and don't get too down on the challenges because nothing's smooth sailing, right? It's 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 a lot of challenges, and those don't go away. Um, but but if you're in an industry that you enjoy, you enjoy kind of the things surrounding it, right? You can get through those challenges. I love it. Um, wise words from, from Ryan Hemingway guys, uh, Ryan, if, if there's people that maybe want to connect with you guys and potentially maybe, maybe be your next investment or just connect with you or follow you online, what's some good outlets that people can connect with you guys and find you? Um, you can go to the website, you know, info at Epic VC, or you can ping me directly on LinkedIn. Um, and, and I will, you know, if you, even if you just mentioned, you know, you know, this, uh, Bridger mentioned Bridger. Hey, I heard you there. I would be happy to pick up the phone. Awesome. Okay. So Ryan Hemingway on LinkedIn or Epic dot is it Epic VC, Epic VC.com. Oh, it's info. If you, if you write info at Epic VC and just tag Ryan Hemingway, it'll, it'll come to me. Oh, okay. From email. Okay. So info at, at Epic VC yes. tag Ryan Hemingway. It'll go right to, to your inbox. So there you have it. Live email, email access to Ryan. Um, I love it. <laughs> Ryan, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Good to meet you. And hopefully we'll have you back in the future and, and everything. Thanks again, Ryan. Hey, hey, it's Bridger here. I have four free and simple ways I can further help you to scale your business or fund. Number one, I have a YouTube channel with actually, I don't, to toot my own horn, I think it's decent content on there. Go check it out. Bridger Pennington is a YouTube channel. We go very deep on funds. Number two, I have a one hour free training at investmentfundsecrets.com. We go very deep into how to actually start and scale your very own fund from ground zero. Number three, you can join our free private Facebook group of like-minded people like me and you that go out and launch and scale funds. I go live in there once a week. The name of the group is Investment Fund Secrets. And then number four, finally, I have a free PDF guide on how to actually launch and scale your fund. If you go to investmentfundsecrets.com slash guide, you can download that guide. Now, finally, people always ask me, Bridger, can you help me one-on-one? -on -one? Can we work together? Yes. I don't want to talk about that in here, but if you want to learn more, message me, Bridger at investmentfundsecrets.com or just DM me on Instagram. Thank you guys. And I'll see you in the next episode.